This is Off the Record, the weekly KOTO public affairs show that offers you, the listener, an opportunity to hear in-depth conversations on community topics and issues that matter. As always, you are encouraged to join the conversation by calling 728-4333. Now here's your host. Hey, KOTO listeners, we're jumping in. Hot because we were just chatting on the mic or before we turned the mics on. Um, you are tuned into KOTO Telluride. This is Off the Record. I am your host, Julia Caulfield. And today we are talking about avalanche conditions, safety, how to stay safe if you're heading out into the backcountry. Why people like the backcountry is going to be a question that I'm <laughs> going to ask because it scares me. Um, and I am joined in studio by two very knowledgeable people about that. We have Vicki Hormuth, who is the, I, now I just mispronounced it, didn't I? We talked about that. I know. I was like, I was so prepared to get your name correct. And then I butchered it when I was on the spot. Um, Vicki Hormuth, Executive Director of the American Institute for Avalanche Research and Education, or ARI. We also have Chris Dixon, who is the director of the Peter Inglis Avalanche Fund, Education Fund, and host of the San Juan Snowcast podcast. Thank you both so much for, for being here this evening. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Julia. It's exciting. We will also, later in the program, we're going to have Brian Lazar, who is the deputy director of the Colorado Avalanche Information Center, join via Zoom for a little bit. I offered that he could come in, but, you know, he's on the front range, didn't want to make the drive. Long drive. I know. You know it's <laughs> long, snowy drive. Long, snowy drive, but Kodo's <laughs> worth it, I'm saying. I think so. <laughs> also, this snow that we've just gotten, I would imagine, is very worth making the drive for. Did you get out on the mountain today or in the backcountry or anywhere? Did you get on skis this day? Unfortunately, I got to sit behind a desk most of the day, but um, looking towards tomorrow morning, I think it's going to be soft. It'll be really nice out there tomorrow morning. I did get out today (laughs) uh, and it was spectacular. Yeah. Oh, I imagine. I was also... I'm I'm one of the people that like, if I can't be actively in it, I'm like, I'm going to be inside. So I tried not to walk around in it for too much today. <laughs> Just not interact at all with it. Like, yeah. yeah, I mean, simultaneously, of yeah, I don't want to get jealous. And also <laughs> when it's like dumping buckets and I'm sliding all over the road, I'm like, we'll stay inside. Yeah, tough conditions. Yeah, but it's beautiful. It was so lovely to see that much moisture and fun fluff to play in oh, coming yeah. out outside the windows. Um, we are talking about avalanche and backcountry and the like. So first to, to start off, do you mind each just, do we already have a call coming in? No. Other line. That'd be cool. <laughs> Wouldn't that be amazing? Somebody already, well, that's a great reminder. I just started chatting. Um, but for folks who would like to call, this is a call-in program. So we want to hear from you if you have questions or comments or stories about your own experiences in the backcountry with Avalanche, please give us a call, 970-728-4333, and we'll bring you on the air and you can share all that you have to say. Um, But do you mind each, and there you go, now we do have a call if you want to pop those headphones on. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Hi, thanks. Good. I want to re- announce something. Go for um, it. This is Rock and Rob, and I'm not going to be able to make it tonight. So if there's any DJs out there who want to rock out, yeah, please fill in. At Perfect. 7 o'clock. Amazing. Thanks for calling in, Rob. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Um, yeah. So if you're a DJ and you would like to take that 7 p.m. So I know we have one new DJ who is maybe listening at home who might want to come in for a show. He might be available. You, you never know. There you go. Um, if you are a DJ, get in touch with Ben and he'll get you sorted. We don't want, you know, just people rushing the station. <laughs> All of our DJs wanting to take that 7 p.m. slot. That is a nice spot. Um, anyway, uh, can you just chat a little bit about the work that y'all actually do when it comes to this world of work. Vicki, we'll start with you. Thanks. Yeah, so um, ARI is where um, more commonly known by, is a nonprofit organization. We've been around for 20 years and we create curriculum, mostly for recreationalists who, um, like most of us, uh, are out there um, exploring kind of 
for fun. Um, so we, you know, created this Airy One course, three-day course where you learn um, how to use your safety equipment, how to identify avalanche terrain, and really how to engage um, or avoid um, avalanche terrain. So we have a series of courses um, that recreationalists take, and we don't teach those directly. We work with providers across the United States. We have about 125 of those right now um, all over the U.S. as well as um, some in Europe and South America. And we reach about 20,000 students um, with that curriculum. We also train instructors how to teach that curriculum. So um, if you take an ARI course, uh, the people who you're taking it from um, not only have other credentials, often from uh, the American um, Guides Association um, or things like that, but they also have an ARI credential. So they're certified to teach um, our courses. And then we also teach uh, professional level courses. So folks who are uh, working with ski resort um, operations or as guides or heck as forecasters or for CDOT um, often go through professional level training as well. So we have that series as well. Amazing. When you are um, like obviously different snow, different conditions will create different avalanche conditions. Are there very different, like if you are, if you take an airy course in the US, are you going to see really different avalanche or will you need to know really different avalanche like information if you go to someplace in Europe in terms of like the type of avalanche that you're looking at? Yeah, so that's, that's a really great question. And the ARI curriculum is really based to be um, a framework that can be taught um, anywhere in any region. And it incorporates something super important, which is the forecast. Um, so you said we'll be talking to Brian Lazar from the CIAC later and their local forecasting uh, organization for the state. Um, so yes, avalanches are gonna look really different, not only um, country to country, but state to state and often uh, region to region. So like the Northern mountains right now in Colorado are having a really different uh, storm event than we're having here in the Southern mountains. And that's gonna create a totally different avalanche cycle. That's really dependent on your local um, terrain. So yeah, that's why it's really important. Yeah, take a course and understand the basics and then on, then you can go anywhere and really understand how to incorporate that specific region's forecast into the terrain that you're planning on skiing that day um, and the avalanche problem that you're gonna be exposed to. Yeah. Chris, what about you? Well, <clears throat> first off, I wanna say, we are so excited to have Vicki <laughs> and Telluride and Aerie is this really big player in the avalanche industry world. Um, and so to have her here and bringing kind of the, the airy network uh, to Telluride is really special. It feels like it puts us on the map a little bit. Um, but my name's Chris Dixon, and I've lived in Telluride for the last eight years. And currently, uh, one of the hats I wear is I'm the executive director of the Peter Ingalls Avalanche Education Fund. And we are a small local nonprofit that provides avalanche education scholarships to members of our local community. Because if there's one thing we all agree on with backcountry skiing is that education is a critical and key component to getting into this sport. Um, there's so much nuance in terms of the gear, in terms of the backcountry itself, the snow conditions, the terrain. And honestly, um, without that education, you're kind of going out there in an irresponsible way because you're just not aware of all that you're, all the risk you're actually assuming out there in the backcountry. So um, we are just a nonprofit that takes funding that we get from local contributions from local sponsors as well as individual donations. And we don't choose where the folks who want to go get an education go. They can go anywhere they want. Uh, once they've picked their course, they apply to us and we give them a essentially a portion of their course costs in terms of a reimbursement. Um, and so it's really awesome that we have so many educational outfits in the San Juans. We have many different places where folks can get educated, but it is expensive. And it is uh, a trend that we've all kind of seen and acknowledged over the past few years. It's getting more expensive along with everything in our lives, more or less. Um, but that cost can be prohibitive for some people. And so our hope is that no one in Telluride or in the greater Telluride community, San Miguel County, um, has the desire but can't take an avalanche course because of the cost. And our hope is to help them uh, kind of 
fill that gap and ultimately get the funding they need to get educated. Um, and really, it is a lifelong pursuit, backcountry skiing, um, and there's many educational steps people can take along the way, but a level one course is the entry level, and it is super important. And so we're here to serve those folks who want to kind of get that education. Uh, but we even do some professional level one courses as well, kind of depending on the individual who's applying. Yeah. Don't forget about your super cool backcountry community chats. Ah, Yes. So in addition to scholarships, we do a lot of things. And um, one of the cool things that I'll definitely plug, we just had our second backcountry chat of the year last week. Um, and we host these community events as an opportunity to get our backcountry community together, make sure we're checking in with the conditions, checking in with ourselves, and really just trying to increase our overall education, awareness, and safety in the Telluride community. Um, those happen second Thursday of every month at the Wilkinson Public Library, and they are free and open to all. Um, so if you haven't been to a backcountry chat, please come check it out. The next one is uh, Thursday, February 9th, and we're going to be hosting our close calls forum, which is when local folks host or tell their stories of being caught in avalanches or having near miss incidents in our local mountains. And I just uh, produced an episode of my podcast, the San Juan Snowcast that went a deep dive into a local incident. And I think a lot of people responded really positively to that saying that, you know, the best way to really understand the risk we take is to hear from someone who's experienced that risk face to face um, in an avalanche situation. So there's going to be a bunch of locals sharing their stories a month from now, and it's going to be an emotional, vulnerable and heavy <laughs> night. But sometimes that's the, the message we need to hear. And it's not just about hearing about the risks, but like I listened to your podcast earlier today, actually, nice. and um, I was taking notes about all those things that went right for those guys that could have gone wrong. Absolutely. That they could have prepared for. And they talk about it really freely um, in that interview, which is amazing how open and vulnerable they are so close to the accident specifically. Um, mm -hmm. But it's a time really, it's so cool that you guys are hosting these conversations because we have so much to learn from these accidents and everybody was really lucky to survive that one. Um, other people aren't so lucky. And so I think it's really great to show up and say, gosh, here's, here's where I went wrong and here's how I can um, change my behavior. So not to get in that same situation. Right. Well, and I think it's interesting too, because you can imagine as well that like, especially for people who are really experienced and that so often is, you know, you have people who are, they know what they're doing and it still happens, right? Like sure. you can't always, oh, yeah. you can be doing everything right and it still triggers an avalanche. And I can imagine that there's maybe an element of maybe like shame or guilt when that happens, when really it should be framing of like, this is something that happens. Obviously, like don't be reckless, don't be stupid, but how can we learn from it to make sure that other people stay safe um, rather than, you know, feeling like, oh gosh, I have to hide this thing that happened instead of like using it as an opportunity. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think from this talk, you know, I'm new to this area. I moved here in April. So this is my first winter season here. Um, so the the backcountry here is, is new to me. Um, and it was super cool to hear about um, all the radioactivity during that rescue specifically and how many people are on radios and that, um, you know, depending on what area you're in, people are in a, a specific frequency. And that's really important information that you can learn um, from your website, from going to these chats. Um, but super cool to hear how this community had that person's back. Uh, Absolutely. Really incredible story. Yeah, and I will just say, <clears throat> on behalf of the person who was involved in that accident, he's so grateful to our community. I would say, in general, Telluride has a very educated and a very experienced user group in our backcountry. And with that, we have some some traps, some heuristic traps that we can fall into where we're so familiar. We've gone and skied this run a hundred, maybe a thousand times. And so it's really good uh, just for our community to hear that story, hear stories like that, and check in with ourselves and reflect um, because we often have a high-end user group that can then kind of convince themselves that they know better than the snowpack. I've, I've been there myself. Um, and if there's one thing the backcountry is full of, it's uncertainty. And that's currently our snowpack as well here in the San Juans. So yeah, I hope that through sharing stories like this on the podcast and at the Close Calls Forum, we can create a culture where folks are willing to go there and to share their mistakes so that we can all learn from them. Yeah. Um, turning a little bit away from like the specifics of conditions and education and things, but I would love to hear from both of you as well. Like, how did you 
start heading into the backcountry? How is this something that you fell in love with and just really enjoy doing in your time? Chris, we'll start with you. Yeah, so for me, it was hiking into the woods as a kid with my skis on my shoulder to like build jumps. And that is the backcountry. We can't forget. Um, I was in Massachusetts, so there were no avalanches to worry about. <laughs> but uh, quickly, you know, I realized, wow, there's some skiing you can do inside the ski area and some skiing you can do in the backcountry. And it's really become like a lifelong pursuit. Uh, it became something that I did almost, you know, weekly when I moved to Telluride and has been a part of my life ever since. 2008 here in Colorado, um, but I'll pause. Do we have a caller? Yeah, we do. Nice. <laughs> you, I, you the saw light it. is flashing. It's so intense when that happens. Hi, you're live on Kodo. Oh, I'm live. You are. Do you not want to be live? No, I was just called to ask about tickets, but uh, I could say hey to everyone. We're talking um, about avalanche and backcountry safety on Off the Record this evening. Do you have a, a question about that? off the top of your brain where's the best place i can go to take a class <gasps> great question thanks for calling and we will if you want to um either call the other line or call back tomorrow we can get your other questions answered okay perfect thanks where is the best place to take a class if folks want to get more education so I can give folks a couple resources. So um, ARI is a national organization, and so people can go to our website and see every ARI provider and every course um, that's currently um, re registered basically right now with ARI, um, no matter what your level. So if you're taking that um, ARI 1, that AVI 1, AVI 2, rescue, or professional level, so that's our website is avtraining.org. Um, and the listing's right there. Um, otherwise, explore our local um, guide companies. Mountain Trip here locally teaches avalanche education. You teach for them, Chris, right? I do. Yep. I wear many hats, and I have to be careful which hat I'm wearing and which logo <laughs> it has on it. Um, so I'm going to recommend all the local avalanche education providers, which are Mountain Trip. They provide public courses. Uh, they <clears throat> teach a Silverton Avalanche School curriculum, so slightly different than ARI. And then, as well... <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, Telluride Mountain Guides offers custom avalanche education locally too. Um, and then in the greater San Juans, we have the Silverton Avalanche School, San Juan Expeditions, San Juan Mountain Guides. Uh, there may be more that I can't think of right now. Um, so check out any of those local guiding outfits or avalanche schools for more information on their courses. And what I would recommend is um, our uh, profession has an overarching standards um, organization just like many do and so ours is the American Avalanche Association and if you're looking for an avalanche class just make sure that they um, are professional members of that organization and that they teach to the standards of that organization they would have a a three is what we call them some people say triple a they had a branding change that hasn't <laughs> totally stuck um, as of a few years ago but uh, look for that stamp it's like um, you know kind of that be better Business Bureau stamp, um, but also if you're like an attorney or a, a doctor, you know, you're part of this like professional uh, group of educators. So make sure people look for that. Perfect. Um, Vicki, how did, how did you fall in love with being in the backcountry? Yeah, so I actually uh, grew up in Colorado, but I was raised by uh, transplants from the Midwest who learned to ski as the same time as I did. So I spent um, all of my childhood uh, at Keystone and Copper learning how to ski. And so it really wasn't until I went to college at CU in Boulder and uh, it was a climber. So I joined the Alpine Club and I met this group of telemark skiers and I was like what is telemark skiing and where are you taking those skis and can I go with you and you know it really just opened up um, a whole new world AT bindings weren't really a thing back then and so if you were going to go in the back country you were going to be on tele skis and so I fell into this group of tele skiers and they said well yeah you got to come ski in the back country with us but you've got to take a class first so um, I was really lucky as a 20 year old to take an ARI class, which would have been kind of right at the formation um, of ARI. And yeah, I just started backcountry skiing and kind of never looked back. It's just always been um, part of my life since then. Yeah. 
as someone, I am not a backcountry skier. I'm not like a fantastic skier, so probably staying on the resort is very much what is best for me. Um, but what is it that what what is it that like keeps you going back? Like, what is it that's different about it that you just really love? And what is it about the whole experience that just like really gotcha? Yeah, I think um, you can go so many places. You know, you can go into the wilderness, and you've got to get yourself there. So there's an investigation, there's a planning, and there's there's the effort, and then there's this like sweet sweet reward where you're usually not alone because hopefully you're with a group of people, but you know, you're not at a, a resort where there's um, thousands of people and lifts and machines. And so um, it really is a way to, um, it's exploration for me. Um, and then of course, <clears throat> fresh powder, <laughs> you know, those, those fresh tracks and um, investigating new lines. Um, it's just, it's super rewarding. And the connection that you can have with people, you know, you're out there on the skin track, skiing uphill for hours at a time sometimes, and you can just have the best conversations about the weirdest things. Um, so it's a really great place to connect with people as well. Yeah, for me and being a San Juan skier, it's not always about the powder because it's definitely not always powder <laughs> out there. Um, but I will echo much of what Vicky said. I think for me, it's the solitude and it's a winter nature experience. I really like tracking animals out in the winter environment. Uh, it's a great opportunity to get exercise. So I really enjoy skiing downhill on the ski area, but the aerobic fitness aspect of walking uphill with weights on your ankles, essentially between ski boots and boots, um, kind of hits my like desire to get that, you know, little extra exercise in the day. Um, and then it really is, if you decide to tune into the backcountry um, and become like a daily or weekly backcountry skier, it almost takes on a kind of a habit in your life where, you know, you're studying the snowpack, you're tracking the conditions, you're waiting for storms to arrive. And I get this like giddy excitement, like a kid on Christmas, um, when like new snow is coming. And so I think it just really cues you into the cycles of nature, um, especially in the winter environment. And then it allows you to explore these parts of the mountains we can't go to in the summer where there are no trails <clears throat> and you're just wandering through the woods and your trail is wherever you make it. Um, so I think, for all those reasons, I go out there, and I think when people think of the backcountry, they think of skiing the gnarly lines or the deepest powder, and I will tell you, if that's your set of expectations, lower them, because <laughs> uh, especially if you're just getting into it, it's going to be a lot of walking uphill and a lot of fiddling with your gear. Yeah, a lot of initial frustrations when you're starting out, yeah. <laughs> trying to figure it all out can be complicated. That's amazing. It sounds, I will say... Have we convinced you? A yeah. little bit. Nice. <laughs> I mean, well, and so I guess it's that, like, I am, of course, there's going to be, like, different um, expertise levels depending on, like, what terrain you're going into. But is there a same, like, is there an equivalent of from, like, a green up to a black diamond in the backcountry? Or is it, like, you have to be at a certain level to really be able to, like, or you should be at a certain level to get out there at all? I will say that um, there is, <laughs> and I don't think it's a huge barrier to entry, but the most challenging thing for most folks is that you're skiing wild snow. You're skiing all different types of snow, like crusts and powder and firm powder and windboard. And so for most folks, that is the challenging component. And most people who are blue square to black diamond skiers on the ski area, um, when they look into the backcountry, they see a lot of slopes that look tempting to them. Unfortunately, those slope angles where people ski on the ski area are prime avalanche terrain. So when I think of the backcountry, I kind of think of backcountry skiing in non-avalanche terrain. That's like your green uh, circle, maybe like mellow blue square terrain. And then I think of avalanche terrain, which is blue square and black diamond terrain. Um, so at a base level, you have to be a competent skier to deal with all the different snow types. But then you can go skiing in the backcountry without being an avalanche train and have really fun turns on lower angle slopes. Um, that's my answer. Yeah. And I'll just throw in, we're talking a lot about skiing. I'm a skier, you're a skier. We're, yeah. we're all skiers. But there's a lot of people who enjoy um, the backcountry on foot, hiking, on mm -hmm. snowshoes, on split boards. Snowmobiles. Snowmobiles is a big one. So, um, you know, education is for everybody. And we all have curriculum um, and the forecast. This is all for people of all modes of travel. Um, you're going to approach terrain really differently. I imagine people out for a walk 
aren't looking um, to be in avalanche terrain because they don't need to be walking um, on steep slopes. But it's really important that they understand how to identify avalanche terrain so that they can avoid it, not just what they're on, but what they're walking under. And we have a lot of that terrain right here in our backyard. Um, so yeah, I just want to make sure that the communities that listening isn't tuning out because maybe they're not on skis in the backcountry. There, there's a lot of other recreational opportunity out there, um, no matter your mode of travel. Yeah, definitely. Um, we are going to, I'm going to put on some music for a moment while we pull up Zoom and get um, Brian Lazar from the CAIC on the line so we can chat with him. Um, thank you everybody for tuning in to KOTO Telluride. This is Off the Record. We're talking avalanche, backcountry, safety and recreation. Uh, thank you for tuning in and we will be back in just one moment. Koto listeners, we have Brian Lazar from the CAIC on the line. Brian, can you hear us? I can hear you just fine. You can hear me. Perfect. Yes. Love it when technology works. (laughs) It's supposed Uh, to help our lives. Right. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Um, well, thank you so much for joining. You, it, we have in studio, we have Chris Dixon, who is a um, the director of the Peter Ingalls Avalanche Education Fund and hosts a podcast on um, the San Juan's San Juan Snowcast about um, all things snow and the like in the area. And then Vicki Hormuth of Airy is here as well, just so you know a little bit of who is in the room. Um, and Brian, you are the deputy director of the CAIC. First off, for maybe the one person listening in our region who doesn't know what the CAIC is or does, can you just share a little bit about the organization? Yeah, um, and I am under no false illusion that everyone knows what we do all the time. So uh, the public-facing part of our operation is kind of what everyone engages with. So 
We provide kind of twice daily mountain weather forecasts um, for various points scattered throughout the state, including throughout the San Juan Mountains. Um, and then we also provide backcountry avalanche forecasts, and that's mostly uh, what the public sees. But that is only kind of half of our operation. The other half of our operation deals with um, avalanche forecast, weather and avalanche forecasting across the state's transportation system, and then doing mitigation along the highway corridors to uh, reduce the threat from avalanches to the traveling public. And that is um, a less visible side of our operation unless you're hearing uh, the exploders going off or things like that. So um, a little bit more audible in places like Rico with the exploder systems right there. Um, but uh, we're working on highways just as much as we are in the backcountry. And that's not uh, what everyone sees all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, <clears throat> just jumping because we haven't even really discussed this yet so far. Um, can you give a brief overview of what do avalanche conditions in our region look like at the minute? We just got so much snow that I imagine it's shifting things out there. So what are people working with around this time? Yeah, I mean, we're just like literally coming out of an avalanche warning for a pretty good swath of the San Juan Mountains. Uh, we got some really decent snow. I mean, you know, one to two feet in most areas. Unfortunately, Telluride is on the lower end of that total, but um, a foot, you know, 14 inches is nothing to sneeze at. Uh, our avalanche warning is expiring at 1145 tonight, um, but of course, Mother Nature doesn't work like a light switch. And so coming out of an avalanche warning just expects, you know, just means we expect the natural avalanche cycle to mostly have run its course which means we don't expect as many naturally occurring avalanches as we head into Wednesday and Thursday, but that doesn't mean conditions are safe. So I'll just imagine, you know, we've got a few different weak layers buried in our snowpack. Uh, the most problematic one are where things have been stepping down into the weak layer that formed kind of during our no, uh, November drought period. Those are producing the biggest ones, and we've been seeing storm snow avalanches step down into those deeper weak layers in the most uh, dangerous avalanches. And so, you know, as we move into Wednesday and Thursday, we're not expecting as much naturally occurring avalanche activity, but the slopes that haven't run, many of them are just perched, like kind of waiting for a human to come along and tip the balance there. And that could be someone, you know, snowshoeing on skis, snowmobile, you name it. So, um, and if we are triggering avalanches, all this snow has been great. Um, it's made for great riding conditions, but it's also increased the size of the avalanches. So the consequences of something, um, the consequences of an avalanche, if something goes wrong, are just worse than they were a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And, you know, from your perspective with the forecast and then for the folks in the room, um, maybe from your experience being out there over the past few days and the like, what, where are you looking on mountains or what kind of terrain are you seeing that these are really um, areas that you should be watching out for when it comes to triggering avalanche? Yeah, I mean, and usually we can really point to certain aspects and elevations that offer safer riding options. Um, because of the way our snowpacks develop throughout the course of the season, we've actually got weak layers of some slightly different varieties, but they're covering a pretty big portion of what we call our avalanche problem distribution roads, which is just a combination of aspect and elevation. So really, the kind of the only aspects that are offering slightly safer riding options are south and southwest. Um, everything from west uh, going clockwise through north all the way to the easterly aspects, including southeast, which has some buried uh, facet crust combination. We are warning of a persistent slab avalanche problem. And why that particular flavor of avalanche is important is because it has some nefarious characteristics it's uh it they're they break in really hard to predict ways so a lot of our storm snow avalanches which is the preponderance of what we're seeing with all the you know one to two feet of snow most avalanches are breaking in the storm snow and those tend to break in really predictable ways they mm. stay confined to terrain features where avalanches typically start or what we would call start zones uh, these persistent slab avalanche problems just break on old weak layers, and that's why they're called persistent. They just stick around a long time. And when they fail, they can cross terrain features that really surprise even ex you know very experienced professionals. And so they can break over like ridges, through dense timber, um, and things like that, and they don't stay confined to those start zones. And so if you've been in this business long enough, in dealing with persistent slab avalanches, you just learn to give those uh, steep slopes a pretty wide buffer because 
you just can't nail down how those things are gonna are gonna behave. And then the other nefarious characteristic is you can trigger these avalanches from a ways away. You don't have to be on the slope. You can trigger them from sometimes hundreds of feet away or if not more in, in really bad situations. And you can trigger them from below. Um, and so this is really important message because even if you're wandering around or snowshoeing on flat terrain, if you've got steep slopes above you, you can trigger avalanches that then come down on top of you. And so the persistent slab avalanche problem is not uh, uncommon for Colorado. We deal with it every winter at some point, um, sometimes much longer than other winters, and this year is just no exception. So we just need people to give kind of steep terrain on all but the south and southwest aspects essentially right now, uh, pretty wide buffers just to account for the uncertainty of this particular flavor of avalanche. Yeah, anything y'all would like to add on to that? I think <clears throat> I think Brian laid it out really well, and you know the San Juans were not different from the rest of Colorado. We we get snow in early October, it sits on the ground, it facets <clears throat> out, and then we put loads on top of it throughout the season. So we are currently dealing with a dogged persistent slab problem, and what it really demands of our local backcountry users is lots of patience, um, and that can be challenging. But folks who've recreated around here for a long time know that we really can't you know touch. You can look, but not touch for a lot of slopes out there because, as Brian said. They're just caked and they're waiting for a trigger to come along. So luckily, for the most part, our backcountry community gets that story and they get the picture and they understand the persistent slab problem. But it can be something that just lasts for so long that it demands lots of patience from us. Yeah, and I yeah, think I would say that's I think that's a, a really you know really good seg, uh, supplement that Chris added there. And you know, eventually we can start or stop worrying about those weak layers during the bottom of the snowpack um, less as they get really deeply buried. And that's happening in portions of the San Juans right now. So there are places like in the La Plata's where that November weak layer is getting buried deeply enough. It's getting harder for us to trigger that weak layer as human beings walking over the snow surface. Wolf Creek Pass would be another uh, area. Unfortunately for the Telluride locals, uh, you're in one of the thinner snowpack areas in the San Juans right now. And so the November week layer is still too close to the surface to put that thing to bed. Um, so anyone in and around Telluride, Ofer, that kind of stuff, all the way probably to Rico, uh, the November week layer is not deep enough yet. So you, uh, you got to stay cautious for a little while. Vicki, did you have something you wanted to add? Yeah, I just wanted to mention that these guys are... Um nailing this obviously and they're talking about um this avalanche terrain and to chris's earlier point there's lots of um terrain out there that's skiable that's not avalanche terrain and so um understanding what that looks like and where it's at and how you can access it and making sure you're not accessing it through avalanche terrain to brian's point particularly above you um is really important so there is backcountry skiing to be had and safe backcountry skiing to be had but um now's the time to really pay attention and create these larger margins and um really on a daily basis um do your homework um and understand what the snowpack's doing can i have one more thing of course um and i just want to point out this is hyper specific to tell your ride but we're on kodo Yay. Um, and I just want to say, like, we've had some unusual things happen this winter. For instance, we had a, like, freezing rain layer on the Telluride ski area that also kind of, you know, penetrated into Bear Creek and Alta Lake, some of our lift access backcountry areas. And I just want to reiterate what John Tuckman, the director of snow safety on the Telluride Ski Resort, told me earlier. And he said, unusual weather creates unusual avalanche activity. And so I don't think, in addition to the persistent slab problems, you know, there's weird things going on this winter that we don't or haven't traditionally seen in the past. And so it's just a good reminder for us all to treat every slope with a healthy dose of skepticism and to remain cautious and vigilant out there. Yeah, I mean, in rain in the middle of the winter used to be unheard of when I first started out in this business uh, in Colorado, but that, that's no longer the case. And uh, I'll tell you, it may take some comfort in that they weren't the only ones that got rain. That, that <laughs> rain layer extended all the way up into the steamboat in North Route County, you know, who probably got it worse than anybody. So... Um, I will applaud the Telluride community. They opened the Bear Creek access gate, what was it, last week? Mm -hmm. And at least on day one, there were no takers. So um, <laughs> I think it was really dangerous avalanche conditions, and no one ventured in there on that first day. So well done, Telluride. <laughs> nice. Thanks, Brian. Good job, community. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's so kind of like, Brian, a little bit on that, that note of like, 
if you're seeing, and again, this is coming from somebody who doesn't really, I am not inclined to go into those spaces. Anyway, I definitely want to touch on the fact that just like walking anywhere, snowshoeing, whatever that might be, can still, you still need to know this information. But if so many of the, so much of mountains and aspects are dangerous places right now, like, why go out? You know, rather than just be like, hey, I'm going to play the whole thing safe for this period of time um, rather than risking it. I think that's a great question. Um, and I will say plenty of people aren't going out. And I think that is something in Telluride, you know, we need to reiterate that because culturally, I think there's, you know, pressure to always be doing things outdoorsy in some of our like smaller communities within this greater community. And so for those who are listening who are like, wow, this sounds like a lot to keep track of, persistent slabs, all this nuance with aspect elevation, um, just remembering that there are safer slopes to ride and there are safer times a year to recreate in the backcountry. And a big one of those is later in the spring, like after the ski area is closed, um, when our snowpack kind of goes through its spring transition, a lot of these subtle, you know, nuances kind of go away and we have like a more safe period of the season to recreate. And then I will make a plug for places we don't have a lot of non-avalanche terrain around here in Telluride. I know this because I teach avalanche courses and it is a struggle to find terrain where we can go safely. But places like the top of Lizardhead Pass offer really fun 25 degree slopes that have no overhead hazard and big timber above them. Um, I'm talking like right there at the top of the pass. And those are places where we can go during these periods of high hazard. And for so many new users, it's just enough trying to get used to the gear, get used to walking uphill, transitioning, and skiing that new snow. And so places like that, we're really lucky to have them because they allow folks to practice their skills in non-avalanche terrain. And so I hope people know that those resources exist, um, but ultimately coming to a backcountry chat is a place, great place to ask those questions and we'll give recommendations to folks. But that- I mean, honestly, like walking around in the woods is always better than being in an office, in my opinion. And uh, you can have a ton of fun on slopes less than 30 degrees. So it's like, yes, when conditions are right, it's fun to ski steep pow. Um, but low angle powder skiing is really fun. So as long as you can learn how to identify and avoid kind of avalanche train, those slopes that are steeper than about 30 degrees, you can have tons of fun, even in conditions like we're dealing with right now. But that's an important question to ask yourself anytime you're going out in the backcountry. Why, why am I going out there today? What do I know about the conditions? What do I know about um, myself and how I've prepared? And what do I know about the people um, that are coming with me? Um, and am I prepared to um, change our plan when we're out there? Am I able to recognize that we need to change our plan while we're out there? So what I thought I was going to see... Um, I'm actually not seeing, I'm seeing um, scarier things and we need to change um, change our plan. You got to know how to do that and how to have that conversation and, um, and how to rescue people, you know, if things go wrong. So I actually think that's um, a really important question to ask. Why am I going out on this day? Should I go out on this day? Am I prepared to go out on this day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, for for all of you definitely but but Brian for you as well how do you feel like this winter is comparing or looking like does, compared to other seasons that we've had in the past does this feel pretty typical for where we are at the minute or are things we mentioned the the rain um, and the like how is this this winter and and specifically the snow um, comparing to what we typically see. Yeah, I mean, every season, of course, has its own unique personality. This one isn't wildly out of the norm. You know, what distinguished this year a little bit from previous seasons is we got a, a pretty early season, a pretty early start to our snowpack. Um, and as Chris mentioned, you know, October snowfall is totally normal. Um, and it's totally normal for us to not have all of that melt away. So it'll tend to stick around on those high elevation northerly slopes and produce a pretty weak foundation. Um, so that was pretty par for the course this year. But then, you know, once we got into just before kind of Thanksgiving, we started to build a snowpack up uh, fairly rapidly. And at least on a statewide perspective, we started to see avalanches big enough to bury or kill a person or what we would call size two happen really early in the season. So we had a pretty pronounced avalanche cycle not as much in the San Juans, but the first week of December. And so we usually need a little bit more time to build up enough snowpack volume to see size two avalanches. Um, but we had a pretty good 
uh, you know, spur to them in the first week of December. So we just got a bit of a head start. Um, and then it's been a very snowy December, which has been awesome. And it was really good to see the San Juans kind of start to get in on the action and catch up uh, to the rest of the state. So we're just a, a little behind in the San Juans for play, in the, the snow area is just a little bit further north. So if you get into the really deep areas of like the east side, or sorry, the west side of the Elk Mountains, for example, or the park range and flat tops up closer to Steamboat, we now have, you know, a lot of snow on the ground. You know, we're over 10 foot snowpack. And so those November week layers are kind of getting out of range and the San Juans are starting to turn that corner um, in, a, in a lot of places. Like I said, the La Plata's and Wolf Creek Pass of note. Um, and eventually we can start worrying about the November week wear and we'll have to worry about um, some week wears that are higher up in the snowpack, which have so far um, not looked as problematic as they could have been. So, you know, we've had four avalanche fatalities, which is not great. Um, we made it through a really worrisome Martin Luther King uh, weekend. So we're really happy about that. Um, but our, you know, 10 year running average of fatal avalanche accidents is six and we are only in mid January. So I would love to see that number stop right there cold in four with people making good decisions. And uh, we add no more numbers to that pretty tragic tally. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to just say, and this is for all the snow lovers out there, the snow water equivalent in the San Juan snowpack is right now 142% of our 30 year median. So that's pretty exciting. But what's a little scary about that is we basically doubled and now we're, you know, moving into the tripled phase of our snowpack just in the last two weeks. So since December 28th, we've had a majority of our snowpack land on the snow. Um, and I think if there's one thing I've learned in the mountains over the years is that rapid change is never good for our snowpack and for avalanche conditions. Um, and so we're really lucky that the San Juans had a slow start and we're catching back up to the rest of the state. And it's great to see things above average. Um, and just knowing that like that change has happened really quickly and the mountains and the snowpack, they all need time to adjust. And so just another reminder to be patient, but yeah, I mean, to add to Chris's point, there's places in the San Juan mountains that have picked up two and a half inches of snow water equivalent just since Saturday. Yeah. So that's a pretty substantial load in a pretty rapid time period. So this like this storm is that it happened today. You guys all saw it down there. Um, it was a lot of snow really rapidly. It was a ton of water weight. Uh, we've got buried weak layers, so it's going to just take a little bit of time for the snowpack to adjust. Mother Nature just doesn't like to be rattled rapidly, <laughs> and, we, and we just shook her out of bed. <laughs> um, I do want to um, touch on, Vicki, as you said, of all the different ways that people are either recreating deep in the backcountry or just kind of on the periphery of. And I know, Brian, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago about some stuff, you were mentioning that a lot of accidents that have happened recently were near highways or near resorts and in easily quote-unquote accessible terrain and it can still um, have really serious consequences so for folks who maybe like myself I'm like I'm not although maybe now I will maybe now I will go into the backcountry <laughs> but are maybe sticking a little bit closer to home aren't skiing or snowboarding or snowmobiling into really deep places what should those folks still know or and why is it important for them still to know, you know, kind of this basic knowledge about avalanche, especially in the Telluride region? Well, I can comment on that just in that um, we've had avalanche fatalities of people, you know, hiking on trails and having avalanches triggered on top of them. Um, and so we're in an area where we have undeniably steep terrain right above our community. Um, and whether you're hiking the Judd Weeby Trail or into Bear Creek, you should know that there are steep slopes potentially above our heads. Um, and so I think the biggest thing for folks who are not actively engaged in all this backcountry stuff is, I'm gonna, hopefully Brian likes this, is to check the Colorado <laughs> Avalanche Information Center because that is the easiest way to get public messaging on the current hazard rating. Um, also, if we get a bunch of new snow, like we just said, giving it all those slopes times to adjust um, is really good. I listened to this story from an old, one of the original uh, avalanche forecasters and avalanche scientists, Don Bachman, who lived in Silverton, and he said they always gave the mountains like 48 hours after any big snowfall before they went out and started looking around and assessing the avalanche danger above the highway near Silverton. And I think that's a great um, rule to just keep in the back of our heads is like a bunch of new snow means give it some time. Um, and for folks who are hiking around here, you know, 
familiarizing yourself with the slope angles of some of the slopes we have above town might be a good thing. And also just recognizing if the slope feels steep and there's a lot of snow on it, there's potential for an avalanche. Um, and so at the very, at a very layman's terms, I think that's a good place to start. There's a, a couple really cool resources at your fingertips. Pick up your iPhone, everybody, that's like really close next to you. Uh, there's actually a really cool way that you can measure angles on your phone. It's a built-in app. And so I've gotten to the habit when I go to new places, um, hiking or skiing, just to pop that phone right down there on that slope. And you're like, oh, okay. I'm now getting a sense for what a 25 degree slope looks like or what a 40 degree slope looks like. So you can start to understand and recognize avalanche terrain around you. If we're using uh, terminology that you're like terrain, avalanche terrain, like what is that? Um, there's a super cool resource called Know Before You Go. It's an avalanche awareness class. It's free. Um, they're held all across the state, all across the United States. And it's a tour class where... Um, people can just dip their toes into this information so that they can start to understand um, what's around you. And so you can feel comfortable going on a winter hike because there's plenty of places to go and plenty of times that you're going to be perfectly safe going on winter hikes. But, you know, we all live in a community that's literally surrounded by avalanche terrain. There was an avalanche on New Year's, like at the end of our town here. And so, you know, I think if you live here, it's our responsibility to educate ourselves and to go and look for these resources and to attend these community chats um, so that you that you can enjoy your time here. So um, lots of resources are out there and um, we're here to help. And Julia, kind of to circle back to your <clears throat> original question, I mean, you know, what we see a lot is uh, easily accessed backcountry terrain um, get, sometimes gives people this false sense that it's not as dangerous as being really deep into the backcountry and there really is no difference so um, just because you can boot pack there right off the highway or you can access it through you know the ski area it doesn't make it any less dangerous um, and it's it, sometimes that's hard for us to process um, it's hard for our brains to process that you know you might be in a potentially dangerous place when the highway is like right there or when I can see the ski lift spinning like I can see scary infrastructure from where I'm at doesn't make it any safer and certainly you know the number of incidents and close calls and fatal accidents we've seen in Bear Creek is a really good illustration I mean this is quite serious terrain that's very easy to access from Telluride ski area and we've got ski patrols and snow safety teams that work their butts off to mitigate the threat from avalanches inside the scary boundary. Um, and they can get that risk, not to zero, but pretty darn close. Um, and no one's doing that just on the other side of the rope line. Um, so even though you can see the ski area or maybe able to even hit the lift tower with a rock, you are in the backcountry. No one's doing that mitigation work. Um, and it's no less dangerous uh, than being really deep into the backcountry. And so, you know, that's that's a message we really want to get across. Yeah. You know, I think it is a uh, it is a, a reality when we talk about, you know, there are real dangers when folks go into the backcountry. And I think it's something that our community has definitely felt the um, the impacts of that. We've lost members of our community, of our family in in avalanches, you know, really close to home. And, you know, recognizing that none of you are necessarily experts in this realm specifically. But, you know, how do you think that when accidents do happen, um, how is the community or whether it's Telluride specifically or a community of folks who enjoy recreating in this way, how do we, you know, process that or um, kind of come to terms with the inherent risk of recreating in this way? Well, I think what Chris is doing is a really great example of what this community can do. His podcast, um, you know, recently, recently this week exploring um, an accident that luckily wasn't a fatality. Um, but I think it's important that as a community, we can show up and talk about um, our own experiences when things go right and when things go wrong and are open uh, to learning those lessons and supporting one another um, through getting education. And I think it's important to hold each other accountable also. Um, you know, if you have a buddy who's like, oh yeah, I'm going to go like, I'm going to go out this gate and da, 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 da. It's like, well, let's talk about that. Um, are you prepared to do that? Is that a good decision? Um, 
I, I think it's one of those like see something, say something things, right? Um, I'd rather have maybe a slightly awkward conversation with somebody than not say something and, and wish that I had. So I think it's about having those hard conversations, learning our lessons, holding each other accountable. I would <clears throat> thank, thank you, Vicki. Um, and I would say it is an incredibly personal process uh, dealing with loss and processing loss. And so it's a reckoning with yourself and it's a reckoning for our entire community. Because if we choose to ski an avalanche train, we have to acknowledge that we willingly choose to risk our life for a hobby, for like a leisure activity. Um, and so I will say that I don't think backcountry skiing um, is for everyone because there is a level of risk if you choose to go an avalanche train that you're, that you're accepting. Um, and that said, I think one of the things I'm really grateful for about the backcountry ski community and the avalanche industry writ large is our willingness to reflect and to analyze incidents in a way that helps us learn from them and ultimately try and improve or you know not make the same mistakes others have made. Um, and so here in our local community, we've dealt with a lot of avalanche fatalities, close people, big people in our community who have died um, doing what they love, quote unquote. Um, but I would say for us, every time it happens, it's one of those reckonings where we need to look inside ourselves and look inside our community and, and see what needs to change. Plug for the CAIC, they uh, do an accident report for every um, avalanche that happens, um, fatality or not, and they um, do a really great job. Obviously, it's sensitive in nature, but they interview you know people who uh, were directly involved with the event, and there's a lot to be learned simply by reading um, that avalanche report and talking about it with people you ski with. Thanks for the plug, Vicki. And uh, to that point, we'll, we will have an accident right up for the near miss uh, that just took place in Ofer recently. Uh, and that should be published here in the next few days. Can I add one thing, Julia? Always. Um, if you are someone who is struggling uh, with trauma related to a loss in the backcountry or not, um, the American Alpine Club has the Climbers Grief Fund. It's not just for climbers. It's for climbers, skiers, any outdoor adventurers. Uh, and then locally, we have a person named Star Jameson who started uh, an organization called Survivors of Outdoor Adventure and Recovery, SOAR. Um, and I highly recommend looking into some of those resources. If you're struggling, please ask for help. Please get help. Um, we also have... A lot of mental health issues in this town in Telluride, and we've had a lot of suicide in the past as well. Um, whether that's related to incidents in the backcountry or not, um, I just want to put a plug there for, you know, seeking help if you're struggling. Yeah. Um, we are nearing the end of our time. These hours always fly by. Um, a very important topic, I think, to touch on, but also want to end maybe on a little bit of a, a lighter note. So either any final thoughts that y'all would like to share about recreating in the backcountry, um, avalanche, how we can stay safer or, and, or any, um, like moment or story of your experience being out there that is just like, Oh, this is amazing. This moment is why I do this and why I love this. I'll start. I can make a, I can make a plug here. Um, so we've got a team of about 25 people. We have to cover the highways in the backcountry across the entire state of Colorado. There is no way we can be everywhere all the time. Um, and so we very heavily rely on people sharing their observations with us. You do not need to be a professional. You do not need to speak in technical terms or know the jargon. Uh, just your eyes and ears are enough for us. Um, you're all, we're all carrying computers in our pockets. Photos um, are incredibly helpful. And I want people to treat avalanche safety as a community effort. Um, the more information you can share, with us at the CAIC, the better forecasts we can put out and the more accurate information and recommendations we can provide. So I would encourage everyone to share, whether you think you speak fluent snow or not, um, your camera goes a long way. Please share and let's all join in this effort together because we'll be safer if everyone contributes. Perfect. Vicki, we'll go to you. Sure. Um, I'll just say that, um, yeah, backcountry skiing has brought me significant joy and has brought me all over the world. And um, I feel like we may have like scared 
and intimidated some people tonight. And so I don't know. Um, I'm feeling like more willing to try it. That's now. great. Yeah. Okay, perfect. This I'm is on the opposite side. <laughs> this is how I want to leave people to say um, this is really serious, and there can be. Um, you know, really dangerous consequences. And it is something that um, if you're going to be out there, you really need to engage with some tools like reading the forecast um, and understanding what's happening in your backyard really every day. And there are incredible organizations um, that are here to support you in your pursuit. And um, it's not just, you know, a three-day Abby One course that's going to cost you 600 bucks. Uh, there's a lot of awareness courses going on. Coming to these community chats is a great place to start. A lot of these um, free tools that are available online. So um, come to our websites, find me, find Chris locally, and we can help you get connected to um, resources and um, invite you safely to join us um, in the backcountry so you can have experiences like I have. Yes. Nice. I'm excited. Yeah, it's certainly not all doom and gloom out there, but <laughs> there are some real risks. Um, my final thought is just, I grew up as a kid in Massachusetts watching ski movies. I had heard of Telluride as like this iconic, legendary place in my mind, and then I got to move here, and I live here now. And we just are so fortunate to have an incredibly rich community that has, you know, done historic feats in our local mountains um, and done epic things. And so I just want to applaud our community for our discipline, our resilience. We don't have a great snowpack here in the San Juans every year. It can be really challenging. Uh, and so I love going backcountry skiing because on the skin track, I see all these members of the backcountry community that I know now and love. And yeah, if you want to be a part of that, we want to have you be a part of it and come to the next Pi Fund Backcountry Chat, which is Thursday, February 9th at 6 p.m. at the Wilkinson Public Library. And we'll help you meet people in our backcountry community and get you involved. Amazing. Um, well, that is, we're like 7 p.m. on the dot. So I want yeah, to thank Brian Lazar. Thank you for joining Chris Dixon and Vicki Hormuth for sharing all of your expertise. I'm always fascinated to hear what you have to say and I think it's really interesting stuff and a really important things for our community to be thinking about and enjoying so thank you so much for joining thank you to all of our listeners and we will be back next week with more off the record thanks for tuning in Brian we're going to sign off with you thanks, thanks for calling in all right good night everybody thanks for listening to off the record opinions expressed on this show are those of our guests Join us again next week for another installment. And in the meantime, drop us a line at news at koto.org with feedback and ideas. Oh.